Alternative Play. Welcome to Alternative Play, a podcast that explores both the worlds of kink and nerd culture. No matter what your flavor of fun is, we talk about it all. The podcast where nerd and geek culture meets leather and latex. So tighten your restraints, break out your comics, roll a d20 and get ready for some fun. Welcome to Alternative Play. I'm your host, JC. For those of you new to the show, Alternative Play is a podcast where we introduce you to those who dwell in the nerd and kink communities. We cover the gambit on alternative lifestyles and those who create content within all media. Alternative Play will cover topics that are quite adult in nature, so listener discretion is advised. Also, for those who have been following Alternative Play, we now have a Patreon, and which we'll include in the show notes. This will keep us going, keep the show going, and help back a number of related projects. So Alternative Play is honored tonight to welcome the High Priest of Corthalus, and I might be messing that up, publishing, Avenger uh, Satanis, a game designer and author who has run the gambit from OSR design to teaching others how to run games like a boss. I'll go ahead and give him a chance to introduce himself in a bit, but I'd like to point out a few of his accomplishments. So as mentioned, uh, Avenger uses the OSR, Old School Renaissance Aesthetic, uh, in his design. As an independent publisher and author, he has put out multiple titles in print and digital, and he has dabbled in multiple genres, uh, everything from fantasy to science fiction, horror, post-apocalyptic, grindhouse exploitation. Uh, He's pretty much got it covered on all those fronts. So let me go ahead and start and say, well, welcome to our show. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you. And so tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I was born in 1974. So the same year that Dungeons and Dragons was created. Somewhere between an introvert and an extrovert. Uh, Only child. I'm 45 now. Sagittarius. I have five kids and a wife. I've been role playing since, I don't know, I was like nine, ten years old, something like that. So back in the early 80s. So what was your first game? It was Dungeons and Dragons. Um, okay. The Magenta Box. So the the BX, uh, Tom Moldway. Uh, yeah, the, the Moldway Cook. That's actually what I started with as well. So did you get it from a game store? Like, I remember buying mine from Toys R Us, which was kind of a, a thing back in the day when you can go to like KB Toy and Hobbies, Toys R Us, um, to, to like buy gaming stuff. And then that kind of disappeared in the mid 80s. Yeah, I did buy some stuff from those places, but the first D&D set I got was a gift from my aunt. Uh, she got me something that she got me the, the box set with a Errol Otis cover, which I still love and still is one of my favorite pieces of fantasy D&D art. And uh, my cousin got something else, um, <laughs> either another set or a couple modules or something like that. And together we kind of pieced together how to play, but we weren't really playing it right. And then it wasn't until I found some kids at school that knew more than I did. Uh, and then they showed me the ropes and showed me how to actually play. And from then on, uh, played a bunch and learned to Dungeon Master a lot. Normally, I'm the Game Master when, when the role-playing goes down. Okay. So do you find yourself in the position of DM for the most part? or Yeah, for the most part. All right. So that actually kind of leads us then to our first question. So what got you started in game design? So it sounds like you had that kind of really early 
introduction to role-playing games. Uh, you know, you had uh, your cousin who you played with and then definitely people in school. But where was it that you kind of said, you know what, I want to do this myself? That's just kind of always been a part of me, I think. I've always been kind of a, I don't know if control freak is the right word <laughs> or phrase, but I've always wanted to do it myself. And I mean, when I was little and grownups would ask me, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? I, would, I said, I want to be a toy designer just because at, the, at that time, toys was my main preoccupation. It's what I was most interested in, what I was passionate mm -hmm. about. And I wanted to be at the forefront of designing and making and creating those things that I loved. I don't know. That's just in me. Uh, it's part of my, my nature. And so now when it comes to role-playing games, there's a lot of great ones out there, but I just feel like not that I can do it better, but I just want to do my own version and create my own kinds of games. And, uh, and hopefully other people enjoy the ride. Definitely. Well, we're going to talk about a couple of your games in a little bit. One of which that I was very impressed with and actually passed it on to some friends who who actually bought digital copies and were playing it in their home games. So, But let's go back to the course. I mentioned earlier about the old school renaissance. So for those of you out there who are not familiar with OSR, OSR is basically taking the aesthetic of the early uh, early games. So anything from, as we're just, as Vendor just said, the BX version of D&D, White Box, even going up into simple things like Star Frontiers later on in the 80s or any other TSR game. So that game aesthetic is just basically kind of a, a microcosm in itself of the way games are played and designed. So why did you choose the OSR? I mean, I think I kind of know the answer, but I'd like to hear it. What said, wow, the OSR aesthetic is what I want to design it. Well, I am um, like most people that have grown up oops, grown up with with gaming and especially Dungeons and Dragons. I went from D and D to AD and D to Second Edition and then to Third Edition and three point five, and then I ran a bunch of Fourth Edition stuff. And then it wasn't too long after starting a fourth edition campaign that I just realized I wasn't having, having as much fun as I should be. So it was either that I just kind of grown out of it or, you know, it just wasn't for me anymore or the way they, that modern games were being designed. I just didn't like it as much as the old stuff. And so I kind of looked around and heard through the grapevine on the internet about things like the OSR and Dungeon Crawl Classics and heard about people digging up their old uh, Magenta Box or, or Holmes or, you know, uh, original D&D, AD&D, second edition, whatever, and giving that a try and having some success with that. And so I thought, well, uh, I'll give that a try. And if that doesn't work, then I know that role-playing just isn't for me anymore. We just, just grew apart. And so I started designing this mega dungeon campaign, which uh, became Liberation of the Demon Slayer, which is the, f the first book that I published. And it turns out that it wasn't that role-playing games and I just grew apart. It was that I really loved the way that I originally played uh, with my friends back in the 80s and early 90s. And um, the modern games... For the most part, fourth edition, but even going back to third edition, uh, it just wasn't wasn't as much fun. Uh, the things that it focused on, game design wise, I either just didn't care enough about, or it put too much focus away 
on the things that I did like. So no, and it's um, it's funny to say fourth edition. So a um, a friend of mine who's out in New York City, and I'm, you might know the name, uh, George Strait. Uh, I think I've heard of him. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he was also one of the people that basically played fourth edition and said, uh, no. <laughs> so don't get me wrong. And I'm not going to, you know, spend the next 10 minutes harping on fourth edition, which I can easily do. <laughs> it, it was a great skirmish game. Like, honestly, if you look at it and you want to do it as like a tabletop skirmish game, the mechanics were awesome. But as far as anything that resembled D&D, it completely just missed the mark. And I understand what Mike Merles was trying to do with it. But yeah. it just it just went away from what D and D was, and uh, I mean even to the point three point five. I wasn't a big fan or three zero. I think my sweet spot was probably second edition, and you know I played a lot. I mean honestly, God, I played first edition forever back in the like the eighties and early nineties. It's one of the things when I saw that a lot of thing a lot of games started coming out with that OSR aesthetic. Uh, for example, Lamentations of the Flame Princess. As simple as and as deadly as that game is, I, I'm a complete junkie when it comes to that game. Like honestly, I'm looking at my bookshelf, half a tier of that bookshelf is just stuff for Lamentations. But there's a lot of great stuff out there. Uh, Goblinoid Games had revived a lot of uh, OSR games or redone them. So I think they have their own kind of version of Gamma World. Frog God is they're really kind of focusing on like adding five, five E stuff nowadays, but in yeah. the early days when they were doing things again, just amazing stuff that if you had your old D and D sets out and you had no module, you like you ran through every gambit of module like frog God. And um, I forgot who originally did labyrinth Lord, but anyway, Proctor, but... yeah, they were, they were doing some cool stuff as far as reviving modules. So the, I mean, the OSR is great. I think definitely it's kind of hit a weird plateau at this point. But for a movement of, hey, let's let's break out our old games. Let's, you know, let's teach people how it was, was still really kind of a cool thing to do. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the projects you're doing. Uh, we're probably going to start more with some of the current projects. But I'll say that I read Crimson Dragon Slayer was... Really neat because I didn't know what to expect. It was just kind of Crimson Dragon Slayer D20. So what that really kind of brought back in my mind was like, I just remember the, I guess it would be the early 2000s when there's just tons of stuff labeled with D20. So I was looking at it and going, okay, but realistically, I love what you did. Just really something where you don't even need to have a character sheet where it's like, here's some things that you can think about for your character. Here's some basic rules on how it works and and go for it and go on an adventure so uh do you want to talk a little bit about that design yeah uh and i know that the d20 edition at the end of of the name just you know it's not ideal um someone else mentioned that too is like yeah it brings up like that flood of splat books and whatever else yeah all the third party publishers were ringing up and it's just kind of has maybe not the best connotation and i agree I just wanted something to separate because originally Crimson Dragon Slayer has been through two or three different editions mm -hmm. and they've all been uh, using D6 dice pools, uh, except for this one. I finally broke down and did a D20 version. And, and so that's why I call it Crimson Dragon Slayer D20. Okay. But basically um, I wanted something that I could just run for a, a 60 to 90 minute one shot on like roll 20 or any virtual role-playing platform uh -huh. 
and I just wanted something where I could, it was very similar to like, it's a combination of fifth edition D&D and old school stuff. But, you know, a lot of it had kind of very easy, minimalist house rules. And I just wanted something that I could show people and be like, so basically I'm running an old school version of fifth edition, but it's got some, some tweaks. And because of the format, because this is just like a one hour, you know, quick game online uh, that, you know, I encourage noobs and anybody, like a pickup game, anybody can come and play. Chances are probably never see half of those people again in my Mm -hmm. life. So I just wanted something like a quick show people and be like, you know, this is the game I'm running. This is what you can expect as a player. Uh, These are a few different options and just be expected to start playing like immediately. Because if we only have an hour, you know, the last thing I want is 20 minutes of character creation and then, you know, 10 minutes of explaining some of the rules and then another 10 minutes of everybody, I don't know, going shopping or familiarizing themselves with the world or something like that um, or their background. And then boom, we've got like 10 minutes left to play. And that's, that's crappy. So yeah, I just wanted something where you could just dive in. One of my friends, Prince of Nothing, he gives me a, a hard time a lot, but he also gives me great advice. And he kind of called it D&D in arcade mode. And I like that. Um, and so I, I've been using that to describe it. But yeah, it's just very minimalist. Uh, you just plug and play and, and go. It's under 10 pages. It's probably, well, with the spells, now it's probably a little bit more. Probably now it's like 12, 14 pages. Well, that's the thing I liked about it. I, I think most of all is that, um, so when you're talking about, you know, if you're trying to run a game and you're trying to explain every single aspect of a character, you, yeah, you have 10 minutes left to meet in the tavern and you know yeah. end the game so this was i mean i really found the approach really nice where it's like all right well you're a fighter and here's what your fighter can do here's some here's some high level things but realistically just go out and do it and you know if basically the dm will let you know if it works or not which right. and i didn't want a character sheet or i didn't want character players to have to worry about a character sheet online i don't even know really how to do that i'm not a very big tech guy i mean i'm 45 so a lot of things i'm like i'm too old for that shit Uh, (laughs) i just kind of give up before i start if it if it just seems like it's gonna be too much of a hassle with you know finding fiddly bits online and tweaking stuff so i'm like what can i do that we don't need a character sheet you know we can just kind of you know you're a fighter you're a wizard let's just assume the roles and kind of just like start playing yeah um, it, yeah it, that's kind of what i came up with it, and honestly i know it works nice because if i don't know if you ever had a chance to play with like tim cask or frank menser when they run games but they run games in a singular similar vein like they'll have character sheets there but realistically they they're just kind of there there might be a number on there that they'll look for but and even then it's just more or less i hey, just roll a die and let me know uh frank yeah. menser even told me that and maybe I'm giving away his trade secret here, so who knows? Is that uh, when he's behind the when he's behind the screen, he'll just sometimes roll a die randomly or blank dice. He has blank dice, and he'll just <laughs> sit there and roll it, and then give a decision because it lets the players on the other side have this illusion of some sort of randomness. So yeah. that, and again, I, I really enjoy about the, the design is that 
yeah, this is what you can do. And if you want to do something else, go for it. Like I'll, I'll adjudicate if it works or not. Let's not slow down with what does this feat do? How do I add this to that? You know, like the yeah. days of thir- 3.5 and three, where, you know, <laughs> when you had anything above a six level character, it became this like algebra attempt. Yes. Yeah. And I love playing with new players and I love introducing new people to D&D or just role-playing games in general. And I find a lot of those people online. Like, I'll just set up a game and just an open call. Like, anybody new that wants to play D&D, you know, you're welcome at my table. It doesn't matter who you are. And, you know, come one, come all. You know, first come, first serve. And I'll get, you know, let's say there's like six, seven people playing. At least one or two of those people have literally never played before or maybe like they played half a game once but they've just been lurking online or just reading, I don't know, blogs or whatever. And they just finally decided to take the plunge and see what it was all about. And so I also try to give people the best kind of first experience that I can, because you know the last thing I wanted to do is turn people away because the game is too esoteric or I'm being too much of an asshole. Or, <laughs> you know, it's, it seems too complicated. So yeah, I just want something nice and easy and get to the good stuff right away and fun for, for both experience and noobs to, uh, to enjoy. Well, that's, I think one of the best experience as a game master is when you have that new player and you just, you just see them glow. And when the game is over, they're just like, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? It's over. You know, like they just want to continue <laughs> to stay in that zone. So, and I think that's, that's great that you actually have something that you can teach within minutes, uh, let them go out, let them adventure, let them get their, their hands dirty in a fantasy world that, and it's a gateway too. you know, as much as everyone goes, well, D and D is a gateway drug. Well, damn straight it is. Cause let's go back to the, um, the early eighties when I started playing and, you know, after I started playing D and D, I basically upgraded to playing star frontiers. And I think I played champions so, you know, it, it was kind of a drug of choice. So it's like, oh, my God, you can do other things in role playing games. So, yeah. And then forget about it. When I got the uh, the the Fossa Star Trek set, I just like I lost my mind. I was just like, oh, my God, <laughs> I can play Star Trek. So I was really late to, to Star Trek. Uh, I love science fiction from an early age. Pretty sure Star Wars was the first movie that I'd ever seen in the theater. I was oh, wow. Like three. But um but yeah, Star Trek it just always eluded me until only like six years ago or something like that did I finally sit down and be like, well, it's about time I watched. The re- I'd seen like the Next Generation, um, yeah, when it came out like in the '90s or whatever. But uh, the original series I had never seen. You know, I love the movies like Wrath of Khan. Yeah, oh yeah, it was one of my favorite movies as a kid in the '80s. Still one of my favorite science fiction movies. But yeah, I've never really seen this. But then I sat down, like I said, about six years ago and, and started watching it. And, um, you know, it's yeah, it still holds up. It's good. It does. It's and kind of old school and nostalgic for some people. And then some that, that's the appeal for some people. I mean, some things where Kirk and Spock are in like, I don't know, the 1940s or 30s and like gangster times or something. I'm a piece like, of the action. Yeah, that was, a, yeah, that was an awesome that, episode. This is not this is not great sci-fi <laughs> to me, but I could still see the appeal and you know, I don't want to harsh anybody's. And those who are fans of the original series, um, if you, if you haven't watched the animated series that was done, I guess like in the late, the early seventies, 
uh, it's worth a watch um, because for that, they actually had uh, well-known science fiction writers at the time write the episodes for that. Uh, not that I mean, Star Trek had some great writers too. Um, right. Uh, Harlan Ellison for one did, uh, did a few. And if you ever met Harlan in person, he was definitely something else. He was, he was the epitome of a dirty old man, he, but he was <laughs> awesome. I, I love that guy to death. I uh, got to meet him when I was uh, a director of gaming for Icon many years ago. But but yeah, so like, was it Larry Niven? I, if I'm got the right Niven, because I know there's a David Niven and there's a Larry Niven. But I think it's Larry Niven who did uh, Discworld. No, not Discworld. Ah, I'm messing up my sci-fi here. Anyway, uh, there's an episode of Star Trek, the original series, animated series, that actually had the Kazinti in it. It's kind of interesting because they never actually used that as official canon, but it, they appeared in uh, that one animated series episode. So um, hmm. they were doing some really cool stuff with the animated series that obviously they could do because they weren't restricted to the budget of, you know, the Desilu lot back in like, you know, 65. So it was uh, something. I else. do remember seeing uh, a couple of the animated episodes like a long time ago. I remember one there was like a black box or something like that and nobody knew what was in it but whatever it was inside was maybe affecting the ship i remember at the time thinking like wow this is like really involved and and crazy and yeah it, it takes like a science fiction writer like a, like a professional author to come up with a good idea and then commit to that idea to the extent where while you're watching it it feels like it's real you know, and that's what I love about role playing. Like when you're totally in the zone and you're, you're playing and it's good, then it's, you're immersed in it. And it feels like at least to some degree, it's real. And I love that escapism because I mean, who wouldn't want to pretend to, you know, live in a fantasy world or a science fiction world for a few hours and like do all the cool things that you can do as one of those characters. Well, think about it too, is that role-playing games are another form of storytelling, which is also another important skill that, you know, people should develop in their lives. And, um, you know, and while to like myself, when someone comes up and go, you know, let me tell you about my paladin, you know, I just kind of like, all right, I'm going that way. But, <laughs> but honestly, what, what's happening is it's someone is telling a story. Right. And it's a story based on something that you inspired them to do as, you know, as the game master. And they're relaying this epic story that really means something to them. And it's it's kind of hard because, yeah, sure, I feel like a dick when I'm just like, uh, oh, look, someone's calling me. I can't hear about your paladin right now. But yeah. but on the other hand, I think it's great that it this one moment in their lives inspired them to tell a story. Whether it's good or bad, whether it rambles on forever or there's actually a point to it, that's another really fascinating thing about role playing on any level is that people who so game masters, yes, they are the main storytellers, but ultimately you start creating other storytellers within your group because now they're going to go back and tell their friends about something that happened in your story, right? So it's I think it's also I mean, honestly, role-playing games and D&D in general are great things that teach people how to do social interaction. They inspire people to communicate and in some cases even teach people how to communicate correctly. So, you know, if you think about it, 
being a game master is a lot more than just the, hey, this guy who tells stories with his screen in front of him. You're actually, in a sense, promoting a lot of skill sets and especially younger people that are sometimes hard to develop. So, you know, not to get all like really, I don't know, psychological on it, but, you know, role-playing games in general uh, just have a really great way of bringing out the best in people and teaching people new skill sets. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. All right. So I'm going to mangle this name. Cha'al? Am I even like remotely on the right track? Well, I like to think of it as the people of that world used to pronounce the the glottal stop, I guess, uh, what I heard some people on the internet say. But then that got tiresome and um, just took, took too much energy throughout the day when they were referring to their own planet. So these days, uh, they just call it Chalt. Um, Chalt, okay. The, the apostrophe between the two A's kind of makes it more of a A-U kind of sound. Oh, okay. If, if people can't hear my voice, I just tell them it rhymes with malt. <laughs> and that, that kind of reminds me of that Seinfeld episode where Kramer was talking about the Italians and how way back in the olden days, the Italians would just like sing their language. And, um, but then that just became too much effort. And then over the years, just like started <laughs> normally speaking it like Italians would today. So. So I'm going to have you talk a little bit to it, but so looking it over and, and it's weird, maybe it's just kind of a weird way I've trained my brain whenever I read new games, but you know, I was sitting there going, wait, where's, where, where's like the opening chapters that talk about how to create care, you know? So I was like looking for all these standards and didn't find them. But as I was going through it, I was getting these wonderful feelings and like inspirations of everything from Dune to like the Arabian Nights to I don't even oh God pitch black, I think was the movie with uh, the first Riddick movie. Like I was just getting all these great images of this like yeah. desert world, you know? And then like, when I looked at the end, it's like, Oh, there, there's a stuff which kind of reminds, and I don't know if it's a direct take from um, the Crimson Dragon uh, one, but it was just kind of like, Hey, here's some simple classes and what they do. Right. And, yeah. That's, you know, go out and play. The first iteration of the the d20 crimson dragon slayer is in an appendix and in chalt but really what i wanted was i wanted a eldritch gonzo science fantasy post-apocalyptic campaign setting that mainly featured a mega dungeon just like a huge sprawling black pyramid at the center uh, of chalt and that's primarily what the book is about i mean most of the the page count is taken up by the Black Pyramid. And the rest of it is just a cool, yeah, like desert fantasy science fiction um, setting that, you know, you could put around it. It's, you know, it's its own world. It's got cities. And I, I don't go into a ton of detail or background on any one specific thing. Like there won't be pages and pages of, of me talking about the intrigues of, or something like that yeah. but um <laughs> but you know if you're running this mega dungeon and your players want to go somewhere else for a few days or just wander on the desert or go to the city and and sell something that they that they found uh, there's more than enough material to wing you know two three four session uh mini campaign on just 
the surroundings outside of the Black Pyramid. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I liked about it was it, like I said, first of all, like it inspired a lot of imagery. Even and personally, I like the shorter descriptions about things because you know a lot of game designers, a lot of games themselves, when they go into, uh, you know, they think they're like Professor Tolkien or something writing about, you know, five chapters on this one person or character or place. And that's 100% not necessary because like the way I like to run games, I like to get a great idea of what I'm facing and then I'll just improv the hell out of it uh, as we go. But the descriptions are very short, very sweet. They were to the point. Like, honestly, everything that you mentioned, I got an instant visual within the first, like, you know, three sentences into it. And I didn't have to write like, I'm sorry, I didn't have to read like five pages in order to get the feeling of it. So again, very well done. And just for the fact that, you know, in the back, here's things on how you play it. But it just had a really, I don't know, it just had a very cool sandboxy feel to it. Like, honestly, even if you didn't play it as the world, like material, you could just drop that into someone's campaign and go, all right, you found the Black Pyramid and here's what's around it. Yeah. So. Yeah, for Again, those well um, where I was playtesting or just experimenting with the Black Pyramid in some of those one hour or 90 minute uh, roll 20 games, I would just be like, you know, um, you're wandering the desert, maybe you hear some some shots fired, like laser fire, you run into these guys and, you know, they point the way to the Black Pyramid. And then so once that first encounter is over, then boom, they're at the entrance of the Black Pyramid and they get in. They explore a few rooms and then either they die horribly or come out, you know, rich and famous or get transported to another dimension or, you know, or who knows. No. So it's again, it's great stuff and will definitely uh, go on to my when I you know tell people about different games, because like I said, the next one we're going to talk about Alpha Blue, I, I pretty much just like. I think told most people I knew about the game. And I think for Christmas, I actually bought a copy through drive through RPG physical copy and had it sent to one of my friends in Maryland. Uh, just because I was just like, dude, you have to like own this game. <laughs> so, um, so alpha blue, which I guess best described, at least in my opinion is a science fiction romp with a lot of, sexual overtones and just i mean just kind of a blast in general to play so what uh, considering looking at some of the other projects what what brought about alpha blue for one thing i wanted to uh, write my own science fiction game for a while but there had already been you know countless science fiction games that came before and so i didn't really know what angle to take i kind of just put that on the back burner and then someone i think it was zach smith of all people he just he started this thread on g plus back when that was big Uh, yeah and um just calling for people to come up with a concept and then a designer that they would want to tackle that concept and then an artist that they would like to illustrate that book I don't remember what artist was mentioned, but someone put uh, my name to like a Barbarella kind of concept. So Uh kind of a silly, campy, retro science fiction, you know, TNA kind of erotic, sleazy, you know, sort of aesthetic. And uh, so I thought about it and turned it over my head for a few days, maybe weeks. And then I was like, you know what? Maybe I could really do something with this. 
And so I started working on it. I think I did kickstart it. Yeah, I kickstarted it. And it wasn't going to be a full role-playing game. It was just going to be a setting. It was just going to be a, a space station brothel some, somewhere in the future that player characters could go, get into trouble and carouse and find adventure and, you know, sex, drugs and futuristic rock and roll. And then I was just like, you know what? It wouldn't be that hard for me to just attach some kind of character creation and like mechanics to it real quick. And so I started working on those. Uh, most of them are just random tables. And then the the D6 dice pools that I've been working on with a couple other things like the Crimson Dragon Slayer. Yeah. And that's kind of where it all came from. And then I really liked it. I had a lot of fun playing it and running it or not, not playing it, but, but running it. I don't actually don't think of, yeah, I've never actually played in a game of alpha blue. I've only run the game. Cause yeah, you were also running on Google plus too. If I was, if I'm not mistaken, cause I remember, or at least somewhere you had a thread going where it was very in character. Yeah. I, I, cause a lot of people are kind of hesitant. They're like, uh, I don't know if that concept works or they're like, yeah, I'm sure it works, but it's not for me or my friends. Uh, or they're like, oh, it's for me. You know, I would love to do this, but the rest of my gaming group, or maybe there's a couple of guys in the group that wouldn't be into that at all. And so they never really give it a try, which I think is a shame because it's a lot of fun, especially if you like that kind of thing, you should play it because if you're into that kind of like, you know, sexy, sleazy exploitation kind of sci-fi, then, you know, this is what you've been after all your life. And, um, so yeah, like all over the place, I'll try to to give people a taste of, of what it's like, you know, give people an example or yeah, just like a dialogue box on G plus or hangouts or MeWe or wherever. Yeah. And give people yeah. just an introduction into what it's kind of like and then let them see from for themselves if, if that's the kind of thing that they'd be into or not. Yeah. So, the, and this is definitely a game that I would suggest to my audience because obviously we've did an episode on gore uh, with James Despero a couple episodes back. We had Madeline Peterson, an erotica writer, also known as Charm Scale, who did a erotic adventures mm. for 5e book. And one of the things that we talked about uh, in, in both situations was, and this is a question for you, is once it was created, was there backlash to it? Were people just kind of like, oh my God, this is misogynistic or, you know, how could you? Because... We, I think both of us know our current climate as far as uh, social media and gaming. And uh, I just, so to me, the game is really cool. And honestly, I mean, some of the supplements get a little deeper yeah. into the topic, but uh, Alpha Blue itself was really just a lot of fun tables. And I think that was a fun, even if you didn't play the game, you just sit there and make characters and roll on tables yeah. and have a blast. But um, how was it, how was it perceived? Because like James Despero, when we talked about Gore, said he, they didn't really have that bad of a backlash when it came out. He was actually surprised. So was there anything with well, Alpha Blue? Cover-wise, I kind of got that out of the way with with the first few things that I did. Like, I think the most mm. scandalous, if you will, cover was my first one, Liberation of the Demon Slayer. So I kind of got that out of the way from the get-go. I mean, there's like a okay. almost naked slave girl that's being whipped by a tentacle by some like high priest. And then she's, you know, on her hands and knees in front of this tentacle abomination. And, 
looking back, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's bad. Yeah. I mean, I still love it and I would do it again in a heartbeat, <laughs> but I can see from other people's perspective, like that's, that's wrong. <laughs> and then shortly after that, I came out with the islands of purple haunted putrescence. And that pretty much just has a girl's almost naked butt on the cover. And then people are like, <laughs> dude, <laughs> or they're like, yeah, you're a misogynistic pig and like, get out, get out of the industry right now. You're banned. They, you can't actually do that. Thank God. But you know, people would love to do that. So yeah. by the time the alpha blue came out, they're like just shaking their head, like Venger. <laughs> or that's just typical of him. Um, but yeah, there was some people that were like, go out of their way to be a dick or just be like, yeah, that's, this is terrible. Or I would never play that. Or you're an asshole or, you know, whatever. And then it was fine. And then after a bit, uh, I guess someone complained on drive through Cause this, this was shortly after the whole whitelisting versus blacklisting. Like that guy came yeah. out with, mm-hmm. it'll come to me, rape tournament or something like that. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Yes. I actually okay. managed to snag a co- Actually, I didn't snag it from drive through. I actually wrote the the author. It was like, all right. I just, I have to own <laughs> yeah. a copy. Tell me the novel what I need to do. So. so, shortly after that, some people complained about it and they're like, well, and then they, so while it was being considered, they took it down for like 48 hours. And then I talked to the, the guy, I can't remember his name. I talked to the main guy at drive through and he said that he and uh-huh. a certain member of his members of his team went through, they read the whole book and, um, you know, kind of looking for this offensive material and they're like, well, we only kind of found like two or three things that were like sort of on the edge, but obviously you didn't do it with the sole purpose to like, demean or harass or alienate or hate on people so it's fine like we're gonna put it back up and it's whitelisted and you don't have to worry about it so i'm like okay cool but in the meantime i was just like telling people like hey this happened to me and it kind of sucks but hopefully it'll turn out right and then a lot of people jumped to my defense of course a lot of people said i know venger i don't really like the guy and I can't really recommend anything he's ever created. But uh, what, what what is happening to him is really unfair and pretty crappy. And uh, I support him and his chance to, to create his crappy uh, exploitative slut gaming or whatever. Um, <laughs> so, which was nice. And it kind of got some attention that way. And um, I don't know how many people are playing it, but it's a gold bestseller on drive through RPG. So a lot of people own the PD, the PDF and a fair amount own the, the soft cover. I just don't know how many people are out there playing it. I hope a lot of people are playing it. I hear of people playing it or campaigns here or there. You can find on dry on uh, YouTube. You can find people doing like actual play broadcasts uh, on their channel. Yeah. I have, um, yeah. So uh, some friends of mine, uh, they're, I guess uh, when we talk about uh, lifestyle, they're lifestyle people, a poly couple. Uh, well, actually, it's like a threesome. But anyway, they're gamers. And every Sunday they sit down at the table and they usually play D&D. And 
I told them about Alpha Blue. So they went out and drive through and got a copy and uh, they started playing it. And honestly, like the conversation that I had with them afterwards, yeah. they had a blast. And I do a live presentation of alternative play. I just did one recently at a event called Fetish Flea in uh, Rhode Island back in February. And Alpha Blue is one of the one of the RPGs that I talked about. So from my point of view on it, where it is a, it is a fun game, but I think when we talk about role-playing games and going back to our conversation earlier about how role-playing games kind of help people learn skill sets and it definitely helps them be a little bit more social or kind of even understand the world around them. Games like Alpha Blue, Tales of Gore, and a few others, uh, realistically, besides everything that get bad press because we have a very prudish culture still to this day, you got to really think about the role players out there who are curious about these things, whether it be sex, whether it be BDSM, lifestyle, or whatnot. And it's games like Alpha Blue that may give someone who's not in an area to explore it a chance to like go, all right, well, I want to be a dominatrix. So what would that experience be like? And I have a couple of friends who are also into it. So let us play this out. Even when we're not getting physical, we're rolling some dice. We're kind of playing out this idea or this need or this urge that it's in my head to kind of see if it even makes mm-hmm. sense to me. And it, it is, and gaming, and, you know, I don't want to go in my gaming and kink diatribe, but it is games like that that realistically give people who might be new to the lifestyle, curious, interested, or whatnot, another vehicle to play out these things. Because obviously, you know, you can go on Pornhub or whatever and look at videos of people doing things or whatever, right? But that's still watching. And a lot of times watching isn't really understanding. And maybe even in role play, you're not particularly understanding what you're doing, but you're kind of acting things out and you're kind of getting a feel for how they are. So in my opinion, things like games like Alpha Blue have a lot more to them than just this really fun, wacky ride in a space station. Uh, it can actually do good to someone who might want to play out certain things. Do you have any thoughts on yeah. that? Or Well, I know from my perspective, I'm married. There's no chance for good or bad of anything to spice that up, like you know, a third person or yeah. use of actual tentacles or things like that. <laughs> yeah, tentacles are kind of hard to pull off. So from a certain perspective, I guess you might you might feel sexually frustrated to to just be in a monogamous relationship uh, long term and not yeah. have that outlet. Or, or have anything else or anything new or fresh going on. And so, yeah, role-playing, either writing and coming up with things like I do or, you know, running people through scenarios or playing the game, that gives you a chance to, yeah, either spread your wings and find out what, what's out there and try new things or just enjoy the things you already like and, uh you know, if you can't do those things in real life, then, you know, at least you can do them in the game. Exactly. It's self-expression and therapeutic to some degree. While not being able to act things out in real life, can't you know, can get frustrating or things like that. But 
there's well, you know, let's just take D and D at its basic level, right? I, I'm not going to go out and murder people with a sword, or there's no way I'm going to go out and take treasure because that just it doesn't happen. Right. I mean, it could happen. I'd end up in prison for the rest of my life, but why not? You know, uh, so aggression. I have a really bad day at work. I'm going to go into Fallout Four and like kill super mutants. Like yeah. that's what I'm going to do, right? It's I am basically transferring my ideas, my thoughts into this persona, this character and playing it out. There's actually, I think, a video game coming out soon. At least I backed the Kickstarter. God knows if I'll ever see it uh, called Subspace. Oh, yeah. I've that. Yeah. So I, I've been kind of following them. I backed them at a decent level. But, you know, it, it's as with anything on Kickstarter, you either you have it or you, you know, wait a couple right. of years and then just kind of forget about it so when you do get it you're like oh wow you know that that mysterious box shows up and you're like what the hell is this oh yeah, finally came this. so uh actually um, a couple of people emailed me about that they're like hey there's a thing that came out that since you wrote alpha blue should be right up your alley and i looked at it and i'm like yeah that's that's pretty cool that that's right in the alpha blue wheelhouse yeah, so I, I definitely want to say to you, well done Thanks. on this. It's not only just a fun game, and honestly, drive through RPG, uh, the hard copy if you can, because it's just it's a really cool book to have and flip the pages to all the charts. And also, if you're looking for something to kind of have, especially now that most of the country is in isolation uh, due to COVID nineteen, you know, hey, if you can't get out with your uh, with your kinky partners. Uh, pick up a copy of Alpha Blue, jump on Roll20 or something like that, and knock yourselves out because it's a really fun game and a great way to pass. You can get the soft cover on Amazon too. Oh, okay, cool. So, yep, take a look at Amazon. And what I'll do is um, I'll place the the links in uh, my show notes when I release okay. them with the episode so people can just go directly to that cool. and download. So we have a few minutes left. So let's, outside gaming and kink, let's... Uh, so hobbies, I know you mentioned that... Uh, yeah, you love movies. Yeah, that that has never really gone away. I've loved movies ever since I was a, a kid, and my parents had HBO, uh, or we as a family, I guess, had HBO when I was a kid, and I saw a lot of movies many, 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 many times because that that was the way that that those. I mean, maybe it still works like that with with streaming services, but back then. You know, when they would release, like, say, Beastmaster or Clash of the Titans or, or you know, one of the yep. Star Wars movies, Flash Gordon, anything like that. They'd play it. Once they got the rights to that, they would play it incessantly for, I don't even know, like two or three months or something like that. And so when a new movie like that came on, and it came on quite often, I'd watch it, like, all the time. I'd probably see, you know... In a three-month period, I probably would have watched Beastmaster like 10, 12 times and over the years if they like replayed it. You know, I'd see it more. And then when VHS came out, uh, you know, I'd rent them or buy them and then DVD players and uh, all that stuff. I have a home theater in my house now. Yeah, oh, the, we just moved in like a year and a half ago. And uh, yeah, there's a home theater. So I get to... Not too often, but about once a week. Uh, I either have friends over or we have family time and we'll go down there and we'll watch. If it's my family, then we'll more often than not watch like Disney or Pixar or something. 
uh, so yeah, you know, gotcha. family friendly kind of thing. If it's me and my friends, then I mean anything. Like one night we will watch Prince of Darkness, and then another night we'll watch Scarface, and then the third night we'll watch like some uh, Roger Corman like science fiction trash. So yeah, I, <laughs> I love movies, pretty much all genres. I'm not really into romantic comedy that much, but everything else I'll, I'll give it a try. Usually I have my favorites, obviously, but um... I have the same experience with cable TV. I'll, I'll try to make it short, but one of the, <clears throat> one of the movies that came out back in the day was um, the warrior and the sorceress with uh, David Carradine. Mm-hmm. And I, I must have, and it was on Showtime or Cinemax yeah. late at night. And I think in the period of time that it was out, I must have watched that, yeah, that movie at least about mm-hmm. 20 times. And oddly enough, it stuck with me so much that when I wrote my campaign setting for Dungeon Crawl Classics, Tales from the Fallen Empire, there's a lot, like, basically, that's my love letter to that yeah. movie. So there's a lot of references, even some imagery that I, I had taken from that movie that it was kind of like, I really want to make this a setting, but I don't own the IP for it. So I'm just <laughs> going to write something that you know, that I want to write, that's going to be the, all that stuff. Baked yeah, that's in, what so. I do. I mean, I use movies as inspiration all the time. I'm not a huge reader and I don't have a lot of time for reading anyway, but um, I, yeah, I'll use movies as my fuel for creativity all the time. I look at something like Charles and I just go back to, you know, all the influences that, that came out of that. And that's, I mean, that's, that's a big project. So try to pull out every influence that i could well and the thing about doing that too is that when when people read it and make that association with a movie or things like that especially if it's kind of you know not like going hey they took that from there but wow this like i said i had a, a couple of things you had in there made yeah. me think of dune and it was and that's nice because movies also become an association for us so as we as we read a game book or play in a game and we can kind of associate the setting that we know in our head, it even just helps us play the game better because now we can visualize it. We can tell that story a lot more clearer because we now can see. Right. And you can make the story your own, obviously, because it's a role-playing game. So if you've ever watched crawl like 30 times uh, in the span of like 10 (laughs) years, then, you know, what better than you can be a guy like crawl and have, you know, that cool blade thing. And then sort of live out your experience um, in the movie. And uh, I mean, that for me, it's part of the immersion. And it's also part of the value of escapism. Because, you know, I'm not just escaping to some generic science fiction or fantasy world. You know, there's a context. You know, maybe I'm yeah. in one of those domed cities in Logan's Run. And because I've seen the movie and, you know, perhaps you've seen the movie too, you know, you have a a feel of what that's like visually and maybe the sounds and, um, you know, you get a better sense of the world. And so, right. And also as a player, it also helps you sort of live in that world and become a character in that world or in that story. So I like it for that aspect too. All right, so we're going to go ahead and wrap up. So is there any any shout outs you want to do? Any uh, Anything you want to kind of point the our listeners to? 
Um, there's my blog, which is if you if you're just googling or if there's a link somewhere, uh, it's just Vendor's old school gaming blog where I talk about you know all the latest things. I still got many, well, not many, not too many now, a few like a couple hundred hardcover chult books that I'm selling myself directly to to people that are interested in buying it. So get a hold of me if you want one of those um, before they disappear. Mammoth. 216 page it's very luxurious hardcover book it's got a dust jacket and high grade high quality smith's own the whole nine yards so yeah if you want chult um, definitely come to me and then get a jump start on chult fuchsia malaise which is the follow book uh, which will be out this summer awesome thank you for being on if you have any feedback on this episode, questions you'd like to ask us, or suggestions, send them over to the, the host, which is me, at alternative-play.com. Or check us out on the web at www.alternative-play.com. And don't forget our Patreon at patreon.com slash alternative underscore play. Uh, and also keep an eye out for Show Us Your Crits, a not-safe-for-work livestream D&D game that will definitely turn up the heat. And you can see that on Plex Storm in the next couple of months. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Alternative Play. Remember, dragons are not the only thing that plays in dungeons, so keep your gaming kinky, safe, and consensual. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Alternative Play. We hope you enjoyed your time in our playroom. Alternative Play is an attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 international creative commons work. You may share it with whomever you like, so long as you don't sell or modify it. Like what we are doing? Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash alternative underscore play or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. 